0: You know, I was uh, asking the Lord, well, I was praying about this event before we even came to camp, as I was praying about several other things. And up till now, I have to say, God has answered a lot of prayers. And I want to tell you, if you don't know, that every evening at the prayer meeting and probably in the morning at the prayer meeting, specific names are raised up in prayer for God to touch individual hearts And I know that some of your names have been spoken in prayer. And always, in general, there are prayers raised for the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of our young people. Because you're such an important asset to the church. As I was um, asking the Lord and wondering what should be the topic for this evening and looking for some direction... Um, There was a conversation I had last evening that kind of changed my mind, and I feel this is of the Lord to take this particular path, and I would like you, um, if you are interested in reading with me from the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter The reason why we're reading this particular chapter is we're going to be reading the parable about the sower and the seeds. And I have noticed in the past several inspiration hours that the Spirit is really working in our midst and has touched already the lives of a lot of people and they have heard God's call. And the question that I ask myself is, what... What kind of direction does the Bible give us for people who have received God's call and what they should do with it? And this is the scripture that came to mind. So, from Mark chapter 4. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude... So that he entered into a ship, and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing, they may see and and not perceive. And hearing, they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended." These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. I'd like to stop reading there with verse 20. I want to do a, uh, a quick poll. How many of you feel that it is a relative easy thing to convert? How many feel that it's an easy thing to convert? Be honest. How many feel that it's a hard thing to convert? Wait a minute here. I didn't... How many of you don't know? How many of you think it was a poorly posed question? <laughs> okay, these are. Uh, you know what? This is what I would call a paradox. Because let me in on you, let you in on a secret. Converting is a very easy thing, on the one hand. Converting for many of us can be a difficult thing on the other. The truth is, though, God really doesn't mean it to be difficult. But there is one thing that he asks for, and his, his standard or his expectation, there's going to be no negotiating with. When somebody finds the Lord Jesus as their Savior, he expects that that life is going to get transformed that life is going to be completely saved, completely changed. The Bible says made anew. I can tell you something from my own personal experience. I came to camp a lot of years, and I heard God speaking to me, calling me to him. But my brain was messed up for a lot of years that didn't allow me to embrace a simple faith. You know, I couldn't believe that this, that God really meant this for me. Oh, I believed some framework that he had saved men, but I knew what I was like on the inside. And I had a lot of doubts about myself and lack of security on whether or not he would really be interested in a person like me. And it took me, unfortunately, until the age of 22. I was a, uh, a sophomore in college before, for me, one camp just brought everything together. I hope many of you were going to um, be kinder to yourself than I was. But one thing that I did experience is how Jesus Christ came into my heart and totally changed me. In those years where I was in the middle and back and forth, you know what I was really afraid of? I was really afraid of going home. I had had this feeling that when I came to camp, it was like I was in a totally different world. And I can remember occasionally driving back into the New York metropolitan area, You know, my folks sometimes would want to find out what the weather was going to be doing when we were back, or they wanted to find out what the news was when we were gone. They'd put the radio on, you know, to uh, the local WINS news station in New York. And right away, when I would hear that radio go on and that news, it reminded me too much of my life. And there were a lot of false starts. Beautiful summers that I shared after camp But when I went back to school, it was just a different deal. And there was a sister in our church um, who was a grandmother of uh, really our best friends. And she saw all this going on. And, um, no, you know what? Actually, there, there are two people that told me the same thing. One was a minister from a different church that already was retired and would come and visit our church occasionally. He got to know me a little bit, and every time he would come, he would want to ask me, Scott, how are you? And, of course, I knew what he meant, right? He didn't mean, how are you? He meant, how are you? Right? And so we would talk a little bit, and he would keep on telling me, Scott, you're making this way too hard. You're making this way too hard. And then this, you know, grandmother of my best friend's, I was discussing this once with her, and she told me the same thing. She said, Scott, it can be the easiest thing in the world, but the only thing that God requires is that you've just got to give up. You've got to give up and let him come in and change everything. And, you know, the truth is up to that point, there was a lot that I wanted to try to figure out and understand ahead of time. And this was like a first step in faith for me to just open my book up and say, God, let's pretend right now that I don't know anything. I've never heard anything about your word and salvation. And you just lead me and guide me every step of the way and teach me as if I didn't know this. And the truth is, when that summer happened and I went back, I would say, in all honesty, that it was no more than four weeks or five weeks that I was transformed. Some of the things that I did that um, I knew were different I never wanted to spend time alone with myself before that. You know, I wanted to do things, going out for ice cream, going here, we're going to take a walk on the Palisades. You know, this night we're going over here, we're doing this. And, you know, if I had an evening where I had to be like home alone, that was like torture. Right? You may as well throw me in prison if you had to do that. Well, I found actually when God started working in my heart that I I started to enjoy that time alone. I started to really like peace and quiet, where I wasn't being disturbed with other things. And I could stay a whole night in my room. Like, maybe I would come home from work and spend a half hour before dinner in my room. And then my mother would call me for dinner. And then I would go back up there. And like the whole evening would fly by from, say, 6 o'clock, when I was done with dinner, until 11 o'clock, would go by like that, gone. And I would just be playing records. I'd be reading my word. Listening to music. And somehow this was a very, very sweet time for me. And as this was happening, I remember thinking to myself, man, what got in you? You know, I mean, what? And, And I could tell that there was a seed that was planted in me that just started growing. The truth is, though, when God transforms us from the inside out, there are certain things that we're going to read with each other now that I want you to understand are really important. As God has called many of you in this camp, the last thing anybody wants is for your experience to be like some of the ones that we read that your heart is either hard, or dry, or stony or some of the examples that we read. That would be really, really sad. And for those of us that know that some of you are called, we're already praying now for you that your personal experience would be one that would bring forth fruit. But let me recommend something. You know what? Um... If you're serious about making a commitment to Jesus Christ, you have to find somebody when you go home that is going to help lead you to the Lord. Why do I say that, lead you to the Lord? Because accepting Jesus into your life is one important part in having a life transformed. But it's not the only important part. There are other things that need to happen in your life so that, like the Bible just told us, when tribulation or persecution comes, but let's, let's talk about what that is. What's for you guys? What is tribulation and persecution? Okay? I think what the Bible is saying is when some kind of hardship comes, for some of you, it might be going back to school. For some of you, it might be having to go and end relationships that you know are not good for you. For some of you, it might be really hard things that you've got a sweetheart someplace and know that you cannot keep up that relationship and commit yourself to the Lord Jesus. And, you know, I, I remember what it was like traveling one summer home This wasn't with me, with somebody else that felt the call of God. And they knew the hardest thing that was going to face them when when they got home is that they were going to have to end a friendship. Why? Are friends bad? No, not all friends are bad. But this particular friendship was bad. Why? Because this particular friendship involved all kinds of mischief. This friendship involved... Um, binge drinking. This friendship involved um, beating up people. You know what these guys used to do? You're not going to believe this, but these guys would these guys would go to a stop sign at an intersection where pedestrians were crossing. And they would just wait until somebody started to cross the road and the guy would pull out his truck and a bicyclist or a pedestrian would run into his truck and then the two of them would get out of the car and beat the snot out of the guy for running into his truck. They thought that was fun. Well, you know what? When one of them was here at camp... They knew that that kind of friendship had to go. And he was really worried what it was going to be like. Now, to be honest with you, I don't remember all the details of it, what happened, um, other than the Lord worked it all out. And, you know, believe it or not, I think that week that he was at camp, something had already happened in the friendship that week because his buddy wasn't running around with him, so he started running around with somebody else. And... As it turns out, when he went and spoke with him about it and said, look, we've got to stop this, it turns out that that relationship didn't mean that much with this other friend anyhow. He was already on to somebody else. And it turns out, actually, all those worries were in vain. God had just totally worked it out. You know, the thing is, though, you've got to get some discipline in your life if you want to be a Christian. You've got to be really familiar with his word. I mean, really familiar with his word. Why? Well, we read about it right here. We, the, in the first case, we said, right, that somebody was given the word and the devil was active to take the word away from the person. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, how the devil takes it away. Maybe it changed the person's interest. From one thing to something else. I can't think of a violent way that the devil would remove the word from somebody. But maybe one thing that is more realistic with us is that we just get too busy and there's no time for the word. You know what? You've got to make time for the word. You've got to make time to learn what God's word teaches and let that soak and seep into your life. Now, I want to recommend you to find somebody else to help you with this because it just helps keep us honest and it helps make it regular. You know, that person ought to ask you, look, are you really committed to this? Do you want to do this? If you say, yeah, I want to do this, you know, then really the person ought to let you know, okay, well, then we're going to do this weekly or we're going to do this whatever, but, but I want to ask you, do you really want to do this? Because I'm not going to force it on you. You've got to tell me that you want to do it. For those of you that are converted here, I want to sideline and mention something else to you right now. If you are in any kind of relationship with younger people who are unconverted and you want to lead them to the Lord, God bless you. Okay? That is a very noble work. And that is something that I know makes God incredibly happy. But let me tell you at the same time, you have an awesome responsibility to train them well. Train them well. We just read here in this scripture what happens to some folks in their lives. And I want to ask you this. Do you want to be responsible for helping lead somebody to the Lord? And it turns out in the end that you didn't do your job? That the Spirit is going to come to you and ask, you know what, your heart was willing. But in the end, you weren't able to help this person know what it was like to experience transformation in their life. You know, that's like an experience that the Bible says is going to burn like hay and stubble. It's something that won't count for anything in the end. So if you don't have any experience in leading other people to the Lord, you better get with the program quick, is my advice. I'm going to help you a little bit tonight with that. Okay? I'm just going to point out some things that the Bible talks about that are different elements of a transformed life. I want to mention something about these things first, that People usually didn't think about it as lists. You know, this is a list. These are things that we have to do. Let me tell you something. Not one of these things that I'm going to mention now should be considered a list. These are simply different things that the Bible indicates as indications, a litmus test of a life that's transformed. Does that mean every one of these things is going to have equal weight in everyone's life? No, it doesn't. It will not. But there ought to be a sufficient number of these things that you can give a witness to somebody of a transformed life. You know, you might ask yourself, what is it that I have to be able to do that God expects of me, you know, before I get baptized? What does God expect of me? You know what he expects of you? He expects you to be able to tell somebody crystal clear of the life-changing event that you just went through. Okay, the life-changing event. This is not about I went to camp, I got called in camp, I was raised in a good Christian home, I came back and this year I followed through with what my experience was and, uh, and the Lord gave me peace and my family is happy for me and everybody, my church is happy for me and so on. You know what, that's really nice, but that is not a transformed life. That is not the witness of a transformed life. It might be true, that the life was transformed. But that's not a witness of a transformed life. I'm going to run through some verses now. If you want to write them down, that's fine. I'm going to go quick, but I just want to be able to point this out, that are different elements of a transformed life. Point number one, there's in no particular order, okay? But point number one is a true realization of sin... And the fact that you really deserved death. Now, when I'm counseling with people, generally, I can tell immediately, immediately, whether this is real in their lives. Because usually, when they come to me, they know that they deserve death. They haven't got to the other part of the equation where they have any assurance that they're saved. But they know they're dying. That they know. Let me read for you from Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty-three: For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. One attitude that I think needs to be there in a transformed life is the fact that you really understand what you deserved. Somebody might ask me, well, how does that exhibit itself, Scott? You know, do you expect me to sit for a couple hours in front of you weeping? And that's how you're gonna know that I No. You know what? I'll tell you something. The Spirit gives me witness in my life and gives you witness in yours when I talk with somebody else about whether or not these attitudes are there. There's no big mystery. The Spirit speaks things to your parents, to others. The Spirit will speak things to the person who you're working with to help guide you to the Lord. They will be able to perceive things about you. And it's no big mystery whether or not these things are there. Because once the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit lays us open. Point number two. You ought to be able to experience having received Jesus Christ in your life. And having received him in your life, you have experienced his power in your life. I want to read you from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. Probably many of you know these verses. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You say, Scott, what does it mean that God has to give me power over something? You know what? I don't know what it is. It doesn't have to be sin, by the way. Many of us think, oh, this means that God is going to give me the power somehow to conquer sin in my life. Maybe, maybe not. I could see many people who their real issue is that they cannot bring themselves to go and speak with somebody that they know that they have to speak with. That is a real obstacle in their life. For some, it might be that they're afraid to admit to their friends that they have a changed life. And through God working in your life, you're going to find that what you once thought was impossible for you to do, suddenly you're going to start to believe that maybe it's possible, but just not today. And then you're going to start to believe that, you know what, it is possible and actually probable that God is going to help me with this, but I'm not quite ready yet. My heart is still holding me back. And then you're going to pray about that with somebody. And then one day you're going to wake up and say, you know what, I'm freed from this thing that was keeping me back, I'm not afraid anymore. I have confidence that God is going to lead me across Jordan through the waters to do the thing that I thought that I could never do. But I trust him, and I believe that he's going to do it. That's the power. That's the power. The power for you to be able to do something that you could not ever do before. And it's a sign of giving up on you trying to fight it and asking Jesus to walk with you step by step by step along the way. I'm hoping that somehow in your life you're going to realize that there are things that you did in your past that were really deserving of a death sentence. And you're going to realize that in having done those things, you are really, really sorry for having done those things. I mean, really sorry. And you know what? Every parent can tell when their kid is really sorry when they're not sorry, right? No, again, there's no, no mystery. There's no big magic about it, okay? You can tell when suddenly something changes and somebody is really sorry for something. Okay? When that, you know, when that comes... Usually there's a sweet spirit that comes along with it that not only says, I'm not going to do this thing again. I really, really regret for having done this to you. For some of you, it might involve, you know, going back to your parents and apologizing to your parents for some of the things that you might have put them through. And, you know, of course, mom and dad, I'll tell you this right now, it's going to make them so happy when you come to them. They forgave you for those things a long time ago already. This is nothing new to them. They love you and they always will love you. And there's hardly anything that you could ever do that, that is going to make them change their feelings toward you. But that once when you actually finally realized that you did something that really hurt them and admitted that it hurt them and say, I'm sorry. That's a totally different attitude than a child that they might have seen before. One aspect of having a godly sorrow is that God will put in our heart a burden to sometimes try to make right on things that we did wrong. You know, and let me tell you something, one thing in my experience. I was telling you about this older brother that came to our church that, that lived someplace else. Um, I'll tell you who that was. Most of you don't know who he is because he's already passed on, but this was Charlie Getz. You know what? I remembered sometime when I was about six or seven years old. They, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, anyway, I was young, okay? They came to our church and a bunch of kids were fooling around his white Cadillac. His grandchildren were there with me. We were fooling around the Cadillac. I'm sitting in the driver's seat playing with all the buttons. <makes noise> you know, all that jazz. You know, put the window up, put the window down, put the window up. All of a sudden, smoke is coming out of the door. Like, whoa, you know. The motor got burnt out, okay? Fortunately, the window was up, okay? But the motor got burnt out, right? So what do we do? Quick, let's go play something else. Close the door, you know, move on. When I was about 12 or 13, when he came, I told him, Charlie, I was, I was, um, I burnt the motor out in your window, in your car. He said, oh, Scott, you know, I don't even remember that. Well, I said, take my word for it. Once you came to New Jersey and the motor got burnt out in your car, it was me. He said, you're long forgiven for that. Well, you know what? Later on, when I was older and I was working, that experience came back back to me. He said, you know what, I never paid Charlie for that. I never paid him for that. I I, I worked for an uncle of mine who had a gas station. I was pumping gas. And uh, I asked him, you know, how much does a motor cost on a a Cadillac? He told me. So I sent Uncle Charlie uh, the money, wrote him a nice letter, said, I'm really sorry that I did this. What do you think happened? Somebody guess what happened. He sent the money back, and what else do you think? Pardon? Oh, that would have been nice, but no. (laughs) He said, give me more money. No, he sent me a letter back. And in a nice way, what he said was, how dare you? How dare you? I already forgave you once for this, and I told you that I forgave you for this. And now you send me money? Well, he sent it back, and he said, sorry, this, this transaction w- was already over years ago. But you know what? There's something else that, he, that a little bit came along with this. He, he realized, and he told back, he said, Scott, If you think that you're going to try to earn something from doing this, you got it all wrong. You can't buy my forgiveness. My forgiveness is something that I give to you freely. So do something else with the money. Well, you know what? I realized a little bit, maybe he was right that sort of what I want to do a little bit was to buy my forgiveness. But that's not what a godly sorrow is and making right on the things that you've done, you've done in the past. It's not about trying to buy your way back. It's simply this attitude that where you've wronged someone, you just want to try to make it right, as right as you can. There's some things in your life that you can make right, and there's some things that you can't make right right away. And if there's something in your life that you feel that you need to make right and you can't, maybe the other person, you know, there's all kinds of situations that happen. Well, God is just going to look at your heart. And, and he just wants to see that that attitude is there. You've got to try. Try to make right. And if it doesn't work out for some reason, then leave it at the feet of the Savior and, and, and move on and let him work it out. But he wants to see if you're really interested in trying. You know, because it's simply the sign of a, one of the signs of a transformed life. The Bible says that you have to be willing to confess your sin. Can you, I mean, why do you think the Bible wants us to confess our sins? Why? So, okay, Landon says, you know, that it kind of humbles us, okay? So, do you mean, God means to humiliate us? Is that, is that a fair statement or that's an unfair statement? He wants us to have an experience. Okay. Who agrees with Landon? Who disagrees with Landon? What do you think? I think it's more to keep us from being isolated. Okay. Go on. Isolated? Uh Well, to anyone. person you like, I'm sorry I did this and you're like, I've done that too and you know, like, you're late. And then suddenly instead of having an enemy, you've just gained a close friend because there's some common ground there. And we've opened up to each other it's all that much more often. Right, of course you're, you're both right, right? It's not a matter of one being right and one being wrong. They're, they're, again, it's a paradox. They're two aspects of the same thing. Sure, God wants to know if we're humble enough to admit that we've done something wrong if we can't admit that we did something wrong, then, uh, there, I mean, then, then then we haven't understood one thing about what Calvary's cross is. But at the same time, God has built this interesting um, principle in his scripture, that if we want to be freed from something, the Bible teaches us is that if we openly confess something, that is the way that he has allowed us to be free from it, because that's not something that we're hiding anymore. It's something that we're just relieved of that burden. And once you confess it, the Bible says it's gone. It's gone. You know, I I wanna I wanna read you uh, the verse for that. I'm you know, I'm trying pretty hard to to try to substantiate each of these things with what the Bible says. You know what? Especially maybe for some of you who are active in trying to counsel other people. Um, You ought to really know exactly what the Bible says about these things. And I had it and then just lost it a second ago. I'm looking now at 1 John 1.19. No, that's not right. 1 John 1.9. Let's try that. Let me see if I can read my own writing here. First John one nine. So let's check that one out. Well, this verse says, "He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in the darkness even until now." No, that's not the right verse. I'm sorry. I, when I wrote this down, I have, I'm, I'm quite sure that the verse that I'm looking for though was in. Uh, uh, First John. Yeah, what am I looking at here, right? First John 1:9, huh? Oh, nine, huh? Ah, that's 2.9. How do you like that? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks very much. Was that you, Kathy? Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Wrote it down right, looking in the wrong verse. Um... One aspect of finding the transforming power of Jesus is to be able to discipline yourself to reject certain things that are not good for you. To reject certain things that are not good for you. I'm not going to go on a list as to what those things could be because it could be endless. But part of becoming a disciplined young Christian is to be able to sometimes just say no. To be able to say no to something. And you know what? Before we have Jesus in our hearts, it's tough to say no to things because we don't have power to say no. But there comes some time when you're really going to seek the Lord that he's going to give you the power to say no. And I don't know what that thing is again, but it's likely going to be something very tangible for everybody that they are going to be able to say no to. The Bible teaches in Romans 6, 2 to 6, that one aspect or principle of conversion is to experience water baptism. I just want to read this to you. Acts 6, 2 to 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, um, I was pondering really in my heart whether or not it was the right thing to talk about something tonight that you guys would find entertaining. You know, I could have done that. I could have done that. Um, But the Spirit just told me that wasn't the thing that was needed. That you guys maybe were going to fare better with some straight talk about what it means to follow through on the call of the Lord Jesus in your life. And for some of you that might be counseling other people, please take it serious. Please take it serious. You know, I can... Um, this is just a, 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 a picture that I want you to see. One of the things... One thing that I really enjoy is things about the Civil War, Okay? I'm kind of a history guy, and I love stuff about the Civil War. And I remember um, one scene in one of the favorite movies about the Civil War that I watch is a movie called Glory. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's a movie about a black regiment in the Northern Army in the war. And so there's one scene in this where these guys are supposed to be trained, Okay, and there's a white guy that's training a whole regiment of black recruits. And they go out there and they put a bottle on a rock someplace. And these guys are standing at there shooting at that bottle. And the guy's pretty good. They're patting him on the shoulder and bang, bang, bang. They're getting these bottles. But they're all like lackadaisical, right? They're just having fun. They're joking around. The guy says, oh, yeah, I used to go squirrel hunting. And, you know, my, my dad taught me how to do this and so on. Well, the commander comes over. And he takes out his pistol and he starts firing this next to the ear of the guy. He said, "Reload and shoot faster, faster!" Bang! And he starts shooting the gun off next to his ears. Faster! Well, this guy's you know, like like this back and forth, and he tries to aim and he shoots it over here and he shoots it over there. Well, you know, and then, and then the commander said to the sergeant that was responsible, "You trained them well. You trained them well. You know what?" We're all soldiers in the army of God. And if we play an active role in trying to help people be stable, productive, fruit bearing Christians, that is an incredibly important role. And I admire anybody that is interested in helping somebody else do this, but you know what? Learn the skills that you need to learn in order to train them well. Because you know what? Lives are really at stake. This is no joke. This is no joke, because if you're not going to train them well, you know that the devil is kind of hovering around looking for an opportunity to claim that soul back. Okay? I don't want to spook or, you know, scare you guys into this, but the reality is that we don't see. Okay? And once somebody has yielded their life to the Lord and they come to you to help them, man, what a precious moment that is. Seize that moment. Grab that soul and don't let it go until they can give you some kind of a witness of that transforming power in their life. Learn how to train them well. And learn in, in, in love with a deep compassion for them, but in a compassion that's also willing to really not be satisfied in a sense, until you really feel that you've taught them something. Now, I hope these things are real in your own experience, but if they're not, maybe they're gonna put you to the question about, you know what, what's that transforming power like in me now? You know, what is my ability to say no to certain things that I really ought to say no to? So it's a learning thing for everybody. I would encourage you to do it. Strongly encourage you to do it. But, you know, realize that God wants everybody's heart to really focus on him in this. Now, I want to, uh, I want to open this up for questions if anybody has any questions. And you know what? Some of you, if you know that somebody else has a question, but they're afraid to ask it, be loving enough to ask the question for them. Landon, thank you, Landon. Thank you. Uh what would be some specific steps um that a person that say accepting Christ during this week can take when they go back home? And when Satan attacks and, and you know pressure the world or all that. Super, super question. What are some specific steps that somebody should take? You know what? The advice that I would give to that is not exclusive. Other people might say other things, and I'm sure there are many different ways to do this, but as a You need to find some other Christian that is going to work with you to make the word of God real in your life. Okay? I think as a minimum, for those of you that have parents that it matters to, you ought to go back and tell your parents about what kind of uh, uh, experience you've made here. It would be very good and important in some way to let um, a ministering brother know or somebody else in your church To just give them a hint of what it is that's in your life. Because you know what? Even if they don't take necessarily an active role in working with you, it's going to be a concern to them. They're going to ask occasionally to see how you're doing and get an idea if there's anything that they can do to potentially help. So those are things um, that I would do. I would for sure make a plan to start to find a real prayer life and find time to read the Word by yourself somebody is going to maybe help disciple you into this, but this is also something that you've got to do on your own because you know what? God puts personal responsibility on each one of us for the relationship we have with him. Primarily, you are responsible for that relationship. Somebody else can help you, but you are responsible for that relationship. And this is the time to step up to the batter's box and start training. Start learning to do what are the things that are going to be important for me in my life um, in order to be able to bear the 30, the 60, and the 100.